Welcome everybody to the PWZ podcast. This is Rick and we've got a little bit uh, something different going on here today. A best of of sorts, if you will. Um, I started this podcast back in November 2019 and you know all I knew was that I wanted to start a podcast. I um, One of my dreams was to do a radio show and you know I have a vast record collection and then one day, you know, I started in 2018, I started getting back involved and uh, interested in professional wrestling after about a two, three year absence. And uh, so why don't I just start a professional wrestling podcast and started doing things like um, recording about a good 10, 15, 20 minute episodes in my basement for a little while at a time. And it came time, I think in January, I decided that, hey, I wanted to interview somebody, bring somebody in as a guest, and I, uh, one of the things that intrigued me most was a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Pomblon, who uh, is writing a book on Herb Abrams and his UWF promotion. I reached out to him, and within a week, we had my very first interview done with him. I think that was maybe episode 12. Uh, it wasn't a very good interview, as I was not very good at doing interviews. I like to think that I changed over time and gotten better. One of my very first guests uh, since uh, doing more interviews was uh, and, and doing more episodes was uh, Mr. Duke the Dumpster Drossy, former WWF superstar. Well, I was <clears throat> finishing up college and uh, in 93 and I was about to graduate and then during college I was working at a private beach club on an island where the members were people that owned homes on this uh, island uh, kind of people with money basically anyway I remember I was at I had given my notice and my plan was to drive around the country and go to the last remaining territories and, and try to get a job with my promotional packages well I was reading the paper this day at work and it talked about a TV executive convention at the Miami Beach Convention Center, the NADP convention. And it talked about how Hulk Hogan was there and he had just signed with WCW. And it was asking they were asking him questions about the steroid scandal in the Miami Herald. And um, the last sentence of the article said, Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And I realized Vince McMahon was in my town at that moment. And literally, the next morning at 10 a.m., I walked through the door. And what I did was, one of the members of this beach club was a TV executive. And he gave me his, his uh, credentials. And I wore a suit. And I wore his credentials. And I walked in there like I was an executive. And I walked right up to Vince McMahon. Didn't give myself time to think about it or get scared or talk myself out of it. I just did it. I walked up to him. I introduced myself. I said I wanted to work for him. I told him I had been working on the independent scene down there for uh, several years. And he asked me a few questions, and then I got the hell out of there. And when I got out of there, that's when it hit me. So, But, yeah, I didn't give myself time to even get scared or think about it. I just did it. Right. What was, uh, what was it like in, to encounter him? I mean, it was like, um, you know. He's, um, I guess he's a pretty guy, big figure in the in the business. He's been what the top promoter for almost thirty years, probably longer than that. Right? Yeah, so. and uh, at that point, it was it was basically it was understood that nobody 
walked up to Vince McMahon. You didn't just walk up and start talking to Vince McMahon. Um, and I just kind of threw that out the window. I said, you know what? This is the only chance I got. I don't have a brother or a friend who works there. I don't have anybody that's going to bring me in. Um, it would, it would, this is my only shot. That's the way I looked at it. And um, I got a really put good piece of advice from a local wrestler in Miami that night before while I was planning this thing. I told him what I was going to do, and he said, if you see Vince McMahon alone, you better jump on him because he won't be alone for long. And I literally walked in there, and when I walked up to the WWF booth, there was this big group of people milling around, all the office people, you know, the Pat Pattersons, right. the Kevin Dunns. They were all in a big group, and Vince McMahon was over here drinking his coffee by himself. And I made a beeline right for him, and I just said, how are you, Mr. McMahon? It's nice to meet you. My name's Mike Drosy. And I gave him the whole pitch, and he was very nice. He was very gracious. I mean, I'm a pretty big dude, though, so I'm sure he could see something. He was like, okay, this guy might have something. Um, And I just spoke to him, you know, like I was applying for a job, and uh, that was it. And, yeah, he... Uh, I handed him the promotional package, and J.J. Dillon called me about a week later to bring me up for a tryout. Well, one of the things of um, rediscovering professional wrestling after about a two, three-year absence was rediscovering independent wrestling, which was always a thing that I always preferred to watch uh, over WWF and WCW. Uh, Northeast Wrestling was one of the favorite promotions uh, that I watched. Uh, locally and that are attended to their home arena is about 10 minutes from my home here and I would go to their shows and every year they have a show at the North Haven Fair and uh, just last year or the year prior I should say 2019 I attended a show at this fair and I saw a gentleman by the name of Christian Casanova take on JT Dunn now I started working with uh, Danny Bryant, Dan the Beast, and he and I started reaching out to people and bringing guests on the show. Um, Dan reached out to JT, and, you know, within a week we did an interview with him, and he had a lot of really great stories to tell. Um, so I definitely wasn't a wrestling fan growing up. I played football. Like football was, my, was everything for me. Uh, I had the boyhood dream of, Going to college, being the best football player in the world, going top 10 in the draft, like just having that big moment on stage, like shake hands with Goodell, whoever, whatever you got to do. That was my dream. Uh, and, and then when I was 17, I started training to do the pro wrestling stuff. Uh, and that was just like on accident. Me and my buddies had our little shindig of a show and we put a video on YouTube and I actually got Vinny Marcellia. Uh, who wrestles with the Ring of Honor? Like yep. he was, uh, he lives in my area, and he happened to see the YouTube video with the guy he trained with, and they were like, "Well, you're not the worst, but we got a ring. You can come like learn how to be a real wrestler." And that's kind of how it started for me. Um, but then at like 17, I ended up breaking my face, uh, like early training, and I had to make a decision after that if I wanted to continue with college and go play football or. For some reason, I was just drawn to this pro wrestling thing. I think it's because, like, I played football for so long. I, I knew football. I knew the X's. I knew the O's. I knew what I wanted to do. But wrestling was the first thing in my life where it was like, 
I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything. I'm not a fan. I know The Rock. I know Stone Cold. Like, that's what I know. But, like, I don't know right. anything. Um, but luckily, like, my younger sister was a wrestling fan. And that was where, like, my early knowledge came from. Like, <laughs> watching SmackDown with her and uh, was a UPN 28 was the, the station here. Like, that was my wrestling knowledge. Like, now it's so extensive. It, it, it seems so silly that that was my early introduction to it. But uh, aside from that, I have, like, early memories watching, like, one, two, three kid with my uncle. Uh, I remember videos of Macho Man, and that's why they were so predominant as my favorites because it's my earliest memories, my, my earliest attachments to people. Um, but for, like, the, the wrestling that has consumed me now – uh, finding the hero and punk matches, that's what did me in because it was just like um, I had only known like silly catchphrases and the best there is, the best there was. And for me, I talk so much trash. I'm such an uh, ego driven, competitive athlete. Like, I need spice, I need variety, I need something that makes me feel like, oh wow, this could be me or this could be somebody I know. And the WWE, when I was younger, WWF, those guys were just rock stars. I couldn't compare to them. Who the hell am I? I'm 10 right. years old. I don't, I don't smell what the rock is cooking. Like, what? <laughs> but then I saw Hero and Punk. And, like, especially at that time when I found them around 17, 18, 19 years old, and I was very rebellious in my real life. I was, like, I, so much had happened to me. I was just so spiteful and angry that when I heard Punk get on the microphone and say all these cuss words to people, I was like, wow. I want to say those things to people. That's how I feel inside. I'm so mad at the world. And then I saw Chris wrestle and I'm like, yo, this guy is so smooth. His wrestling is, is precise. And even when I was doing like a uh, messing around wrestling with my friends, I was never in for it for falling on the ground or the concrete or, or anything silly like that. I wanted to learn the style. Like, Oh my God, this guy did the headlock the same way 14 different times in this video. Why is he doing it like that? Like, those are the questions I ask myself as my friends have cheese graters on their forehead and they're just screaming, Cactus Jack, Cactus Jack. And I'm like, oh, cool, man. But uh, so drop soul hold. How's that go? <laughs> so you're going for more like a technical style, like classic wrestler. I just love kind of. I'm a perfectionist. I, I'm a, I just I wish I wasn't sometimes. I'm so detail oriented right. and I just uh, I'm so driven by detail i need to know every scenario of everything and i think that's i enjoy the most about my matches right. is i put so much effort into making sure that nobody else is going to go this extra length and i know that the the real wrestling fans appreciate the detail i learned it from those guys watching it all that all those years ago and uh, there was a reason why they were so famous in a time where being famous wasn't really a thing in, in wrestling right. you're, you're collecting tapes how many times is that tape really going to get traded well survey says a bazillion because look at those guys now <laughs> yeah uh, and those matches still hold up one of the things that really sparked my interest in professional wrestling was a chance meeting by former wwf superstar wcw and four horsemen member uh paul roma in a gas station he runs a, a school and a promotion called paradise alley professional wrestling and he invited me to check it out a couple weeks later i went uh their shows are generally friday nights they're they're in their home school and the five dollars and i had a fantastic time i uh, ran into people I had not seen in a long time, and I just started a lot of friendships with uh, people on that particular night. 
one Mr. Don Kincaid, and one the Guardian of the Chaos Big Daddy. And um, I just really liked the product a lot. It was a lot of fun. And um, I've always promoted on my Twitter and social media one of the things that um, some of the guys took notice. And I had um, three-time Paradise Alley Tag Team Champions, the House of Pain, on uh, several times. And, of course, they're going to come on again. And uh, the first time, they put me in an awkward situation by asking me a really awkward question. Check this out. Be honest. Don't, don't, you know, don't let no, no trickery here happen. Because, you know, Nick likes to do You know, Nick Payne likes to do trickery. Now, if we were split up, right, Nick Payne and I. Oh, hell. If we were split up, who, who's the Shawn Michaels on the team and who's the Marty Gennetti on the team? I'm going to tell you that. I thought Marty was a better wrestler <laughs> at times. <laughs> and those two wrestling each other when they broke up was phenomenal. So I just want to see the match. Oh, I yeah. can't answer that question, brother. I can't answer that. We asked Roma the same question earlier. And he just looked at us like, yeah, no, you're not getting that one out of me. One of the other guests that uh, was very intriguing to me um, was Greg Oliver. He's the head of Slam Wrestling out of Canada. He had just written a new book, a non-wrestling book. He, he writes a lot of wrestling and hockey books. And um, somebody that just joined the uh, ever-rotating cast for the show, Andy, the big cat, a.k.a. the Greenport Destroyer, reached out to him and said, hey, you want to come on? So we talked his new book. We talked uh, a little bit of the history of slam wrestling and professional wrestling in general. Uh, he was very gracious to give us about 30 minutes of his time. And then one of the things that he brought up and was talking about was a new book that he's working on, which I'm really looking forward to. It's his book with uh, John Arezzi, um, Northeast wrestling legend, um, that went on to um, promote a lot of conventions and autograph signings and stuff over the years and you had the pro wrestling spotlight radio show back in the 80s and 90s it's very uh awesome to listen to it's really great to listen to nowadays as a podcast where him and brian last go back and review it um greg was very gracious with his time and this was just a really cool and fun interview i'm actually looking forward to this book uh john of course put on like the first major well-known uh, convention on the east coast or at least in the northeast um but I, i'm not even sure what year it was maybe the late 80s early 90s and uh the laguardia airport i think yep 91 okay and, uh he did he did four different conventions and um each one well the first three certainly got progressively bigger and the fourth one was a little bit more scaled down in some ways um he also helped herb abrams do the uh the the one that he ran as well that ended up, uh, he had to go fix things up with the LaGuardia airport there because Herb Abrams stiffed them on the bill. I know you find that hard to believe. Yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> I really took a Resi's project partly because, as I talked about with Billy Van, I mean, I love, you know, writing about wrestling. I love writing about hockey. But you need to change them up sometimes. So it was really neat to learn a lot more about baseball and the country music especially fascinating me. 
Um, but I mean, it's more just that with Arezzi. I mean, sure, he discovered Patty Loveless and Kelsey Ballerini and had a huge uh, in, input into the career of Sarah Darling. But I mean, he had a chance to get new kids on the block, but it didn't happen. Like, there's wow. some really neat side stories. Um, and John's just been immersed in that business for 25 years. Um, so it was a great book. I'm looking forward to everybody's feedback on that one when it comes out. It'll be out in the spring. Uh, I think we have an official date. I think it's April 6th or something like that. But you know how it goes. They're, they're out earlier than that. Right. Now, now a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the modern fans who weren't around in 91, you really have to understand, uh, Rick, as you can attest, pre-pandemic, there was such a big culture of conventions and meet and greets. Yeah. John was John was one of the first guys doing that kind of stuff. So he really cultivated that culture. I should, she kind of planted the seed for that culture, I should say. But but a lot of that came out of his um, his baseball, right? He'd been to baseball yeah. conventions. He was a big baseball fan. He still raves about Eddie Cranepool being his favorite Met ever. Um, so all those things sort of paid off in the sense that he ran these conventions. But he certainly didn't make a lot of money on them. Uh, the things have changed a lot. I mean, he was charging, you know, a couple of bucks an autograph back then. And, uh, you know, Sting at the first one didn't charge at all. Uh, wow. And Bruno refused to ever sign for money. So, it, th- again, things have changed. Uh, but, I mean, we could have done a whole big book just about his wrestling stuff. But his whole life, uh, his ups and his downs uh, makes it a better read, I think, than just sticking with the wrestling stuff. Which is why he's got the podcast, right? The right. podcast tells you all those the little minutia and, and the, and the stories that go on. And Brian does a great, Brian last does a great job, uh, prompting him a little bit and, and poking him and, and getting John to tell some good stories. Now, when I, uh, started the show, I was basically doing every episode and then I met Dan and then I met JJ and Dan and I did a show together. We started doing a, for a little while we were doing an impact wrestling review show every week for a while and don't worry that'll be coming back and JJ would come in on Sunday nights we do a pay-per-view review or we would start doing retro reviews on the nights that there wasn't pay-per-views and then the three of us started doing shows together and then one of these shows randomly Dan says hey I got this guy that I invited to come on I said okay no problem turned out to be the DVD Freak, and DVD Freak uh, has turned out to be a valuable, valuable uh, contributor to the show. Basically, they've been doing it every night, every Sunday night. I'm not always available to do shows, so I said, hey, you guys want to record without me? Dan, it's your show too. DVD Freak, it's your show too. JJ, it's your show too. If I got to step out, there's been plenty of times when somebody couldn't step in, and so DVD Freak and Dan would do shows. So recently, Dan has been on an interview kick. We've been reaching out to a lot of people and trying to bring people the best content that we possibly can. Dan reached out to former WWE talent, current Impact talent, Heath Slater, aka Heath Miller or Heath, whatever you want to call him. And DVD Freak had to ask a very interesting question. So. On that topic, uh, earlier in the year, there was a lot of rumor and innuendo that Nexus was actually supposed to make an appearance at WrestleMania 36. So my question to you is, is there any truth to that? And 
you know, if there is, was there any future implications for the group? Or was it just like a one-off um, sighting? I can, I can 100% tell you what I heard. Or let me tell let me rephrase that, what I was told. I was told that Nexus would be there and it would be all eight of us, not seven, because like everyone, like I'm not, I, I feel this way too, but then again, I don't because of the stipulations of how it happened. Like everyone says, oh, Daniel Bryan wasn't really in Nexus. He was just in it for that one night. But him being, him and being as vicious as he was, was amazing because the only restrictions we ever got from Vince McMahon himself was don't hit a fan and do not touch the cameras. That was it. Do whatever the hell else you want. Yeah, I don't care. They can live. Do whatever else you want. That was our direction going into Miami, destroying the ring and everything. Daniel didn't do nothing wrong. He got released because of the whole choking incident with Justin Roberts. You know, so it's like, get the hell out of here with that crap. You know, like, that's bull crap. You know, but yes, there was you know, talk. Yes, well, what I heard was that we're supposed to be at NXT TakeOver, sit in front row at the main event to where everyone's like, whoa, what is this? What's going on? Type deal. And that's all I heard. You'll be sitting front row at NXT TakeOver for the main event. And that was like a, we walk down through the crowd, we take our seats, the main event's about to start. The main event guys are looking at us. The people are looking at us. Whoa, what, what's going on? Which could have been damn great. Amazing. But COVID hit. One guy, two guys was in disagreement with everything. I'm going to just let y'all guess who those were. And then it was one of those things to where it just didn't happen. Just be, Mainly COVID. Mainly COVID. You know, because the two guys that disagreed, we could easily got Henning in there and another member of Nexus. Um, it wouldn't have been the same as the original, but it still would have got an effect. But yes, there was rumors of all of us. But I'm sitting there thinking, like, bullshit. We are not just going to sit front row. Like, that ain't going to happen. We're going to destroy something. That's a fact. You know, and I thought it would be main event. Whoever won, one, two, three, ding, ding, ding. Yay, here we go. Y'all guys are screwed. Blah, 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 blah. You know, but it didn't happen. One of my favorite things to do is go out there and support local wrestling. Go out there and support independent wrestling. Go out there. You should go out there, too, and support independent wrestling. You never know. Go out there, buy a T-shirt, buy a DVD, buy a ticket. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. It's more personable. And speaking of more personable, you can, you know, I've gone to enough shows as of late where I can go in. People say hi to me. Some of the talent walk in and say, hey, Rick, what's up? And I got to meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of people. A lot of people will come on this show just because they know me from seeing me at shows. And that's a really awesome feeling. An interview that I did a while back with a gentleman named Danny Adam, I have to say. We sat there and talked about a lot of stuff. His professional wrestling career. We didn't talk a lot about modern wrestling. Talked about his wrestling career. Talked about watching wrestling growing up. We talked about metal in all its glorious forms. It was just a really cool interview, and it was a lot of fun. Honestly, I'm keeping busy. I mean, it's it sucks because there's there's not a lot of like live wrestling going on, 
Mm -hmm. but there's still a lot people can be doing. I I mean, I I recently uh, made it a point to let people know that ever since March, I have been doing nothing but keeping busy. I have been ordering new gear. I have been shooting promos for companies. You know, this is this is the time to show a company what you have to offer besides your in-ring work. And there's so right. many people that are just doing nothing. And I'm like, you hold a title for this company. Why aren't you doing something? Promote your company. But, right. uh, you know, here in uh, here in Massachusetts, you know, gyms reopened in, like, May. So I was back at the gym. And then I started going to Kevin Landry's Pro Wrestling Combine. Started training there. And that's, you know, just trying to stay busy, man. As I stated before, Dan has become basically the king of the interview for PWZ Podcast. He's reached out to so many people as of late between, you know, over the time uh, with PWZ, you know, back when he started out uh, reaching out to JT Dunn, Heath Slater, he interviewed James Ellsworth. One of my favorite things that he did, he interviewed former TNA uh, and America's Most Wanted member, Chris Harris, and uh, also he was former WWE talent, Braden Walker. And this interview that Dan did, it was really, really good, and I was always been a huge uh, Chris Harris fan. And, man, you know, it's sad because you don't get to see him as much on TV because I always thought that he was a really great talent and that he was going to be a very big, you know, very big future uh, major star for the professional wrestling industry. But uh, no, I think that I think the top guys either they they had heard or they asked because they were top guys. Uh, maybe they saw the writing on the wall. We didn't. Um, we were but we were being brought in every week, being used, and uh, we took advantage of the matches. Got great experience, and then of course you know we were we were shown on Nitro, uh, Thunder doing the doing the security, and you know that was okay at the time. Of course we. Guys like me, I can't speak for the other guys. I mean, guys like me. I mean, I, I looked at it as a, as a, you know, a step where I was, I was hopefully, you know, going to be used at some point. Um, but you know, we'll never know. You know, that was the year two thousand. We were used that year, and then um, by the beginning of two thousand one, uh, I think they had since the, you know, they were trying to cut costs wherever. That's where we st- were stopped uh, being brought in, and I think. That was probably had to be the very beginning. So I'd, I'd say January, February, and then I think the the company was done in April. So um, to answer your question, though, no, I didn't really know. Um, once they stopped bringing us in, I mean, you kind of hear rumblings throughout the locker room of some, something's going on. Didn't really know what. Um, but yeah, I was I was at home like everybody else watching when uh, the whole sale went through and. You know, you see Vince McMahon on TV. Another guest I thought that was really great that we had was when Andy and I interviewed uh, Rhett Titus from Ring of Honor. Rhett had a really cool career, and he had trained under Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Bryan Danielson, and Austin Aries. Uh, he, he had a funny story to tell. I read that, you know, uh, while doing research, that he hated training under Bryan Danielson. And, uh... You know, so of course I had to ask him, and in the, the uh, interview he said that it sh- helped him shape himself better. It was very interesting, and it's almost, uh, you know, it's a very comical story as, you know, why he hated working with Danielson. 
And uh, I found it interesting that you said you hated training with Brian, but then, you know, it uh, helped. But later on, it helped you uh, become a more dedicated wrestler. What at that time period made you hate? Was it just his uh, like an old school style training regimen that? He yeah, had? you know, like, a, like, um, like, you know, I wasn't in nowhere near the shape I am now, you right. know, so uh, I remember distinctively every, uh, you know, every training I would always be late to because I'd be coming from work. So I'd always. Right. Always, always be late, and I would always have to do extra squats, extra push-ups, all that stuff. And I was, like, oh man, this sucks. And I was, I was, uh, I was actually gonna make it to practice on time one day. I was like, oh yeah, making on time, no extra squats, and you know, because that would ruin your whole day, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but then all of a sudden I hit traffic. I'm like, no. So I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So I'm like. All right, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll get dressed in the car now, so I can hop right out and go right into the the training. So I get in all my gear, my knee pads, my boots, everything, and like pull up to the to the school. At like we used to train at like four o'clock, so I was like three fifty eight, three fifty nine, and I'm like, you know, like running up the steps in there, and like roll right into the ring. And Brian's like, "Wow, you, you made it on time today." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah," you know. He's like. All right, so we start training, and then all of a sudden, like, Brian just looks, like, enraged. You're like, oh, gosh. like, And he's like, who the hell brought mud into my ring? And I was just like, oh, no. And, like, everybody slowly started looking down at the bottom of their shoes and, like, no mud anywhere else. And then I looked down at the bottom of mine, and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and he's like, ow. <laughs> So I had to do extra exercises anyways. So, but yeah, yeah, uh, that was like training with Brian. But you know, th- that stuff you you grow to appreciate later in life. You know, just like little lessons like that, and always having to be punctual and on time and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, but training with Aries was a little bit different because uh, you know he was like, hey, you know, I'm not your personal trainer. You know, we're not gonna come here and do squats until you puke or anything like that. But um, I'm your wrestling trainer, so that's what, you know, you guys are paying me for. So it was pretty cool that, you know, obviously I was doing my workouts on my own and all, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool that he, uh, you know, just focused more on wrestling. Brian, you know, we'd have, we'd have to do a whole lot of squats. I remember one day uh, he was like, you know, you got to remember, you know, I was probably like 19 or so training with Brian. So uh, he, he's like, all right, everybody – picks an exercise for the day and he asked me like which exercise do you want to do today and i was like uh jumping jacks and he's like oh jumping jacks huh and then he made us do 10 minutes of jumping jacks in the wrestling ring and like there's like four of us in the ring and like when you jump in it's like bouncing but you all got to be in rhythm though like oh man what about everybody was cursing me up and down for that one Another great interview that we had. Uh, this one was one of my favorites. Uh, you know, going into this interview, I thought it was going to be a very difficult interview, for, but for some reason, it was the greatest interview, I think, or one of the greatest interviews that we that we had uh, with Shane Taylor, the leader of Shane Taylor Promotions. He had a lot to say, whether it be social issues, his professional wrestling career, his kids, his wife, uh, or anything in general. It was just, it was a really cool interview. See, Rick, this is what I love about Shane Taylor. If you're friends with him on Facebook, 
Like Shane puts his opinion out there. He doesn't hold back. And let's face it, as a black man in America, that's not always a safe thing to do. Right. But, yep. you know. There seems to be a trouble with people that seem to make it uh, successfully, whether they're a musician, athlete, or whatever, about speaking their mind. And it's always just, you have a platform and you're just, people will pay attention to you more because you reach a certain amount of fame. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of normal people seem to look down. I wouldn't say normal, but people, I mean, uh, look down on that. And I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. Am, am I making sense? Sorry. Yeah. True. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I ran, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I, this is the thing, right? Like there, there, there's a very fine line, right? Because wrestling right, right is one of those things where people want to escape when they watch sports, right? right and I right. get that. Right. And there's a level of entertainment value you have to bring. The The caveat to that is, once those lights go off, I'm still a black man in this sport. I'm still a right. black man in this country. I don't get to take a break. Right. We don't get to take a break, right? We don't get an escape from this. This is what our reality is. So the best thing I can do is try to show these examples, teach these lessons in an entertaining way. But at the end of the day, I still understand who I represent. I understand what eyes are on me. I understand who is looking at me. I understand the obligation that I have. And it is to progress and move the bar forward, open these doors for other people to walk through because that is what's necessary. We, we, we've had generations that have had success and seemingly forgot about everybody else behind them, right? right. So then you kind of get into this restart, and it's always harder when you have to restart instead of c continuing to push, right? So, yes, I've been successful. Yes, other people have been successful, but it, we're, we're still not where we want to be. Um, and for me, you know, I, I can't even claim to be – and to achieve the success that I really want until I win the top prize in Ring of Honor. And that's the Ring of Honor World Championship. So, um, and even then, the, the, the fight's not over. You know what I mean? It's just these are the steps that we're trying to achieve. And when, when and if I'm able to do that, that can show generations of kids, of wrestlers, of my peers after me that, hey, you can do this. You don't have to be a stereotype. You don't have to be put in a box. You don't have to be some caricature of black culture. You you can do this the way you want to do it. Do it your way and still be successful and reach the very top of the mountain if you're willing to put the work in, no matter what anybody says. I would like to take this time to thank every single person that has made this podcast possible. From my friends, Danny, Duty Freak, JJ, Andy, the rotating cast, from Matt McCourt, Don Kincaid, friend Eric, Jonathan Peck, uh, the Guardian of Chaos, everybody, and all the countless guests that have come on, Shane Taylor, Barry Horowitz, JT Dunn, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Heath Slater, everybody. I'd just like to thank every single person that made this podcast possible. And I, of course, cannot forget Scott Rogers of Huge Pop Podcast. I cannot forget Mr. Trivia and the Nugster of Top Rope Report. You guys have always been very supportive of my show. Keep 
Keep it up. Thank you so much. And keep up your shows. Thank you. Twenty twenty one. Hopefully, will be an even bigger year and a lot more fun. We can do a hell of a lot more as far as guests and, and such, and just covering and talking about the world of professional wrestling. All you people, guests and, and friends alike, have all helped me realize a dream. And I appreciate all of you and love you all. And please keep looking forward to more content. Don't forget to like us on Twitter, twitter.com slash PWZ Podcast, Facebook.com forward slash PWZ Podcast. Send me a little old friend request. Let's talk some wrestling. There's a lot more coming your way. Thank you so much. Keep up.